We are towards the bottom of Yevamos Ayin Tes Amar Aleph 79a. And we just completed the whole story, the fascinating story about the Givonim, the Nesinim and the Givonim, um, their conversion in the days of Yahushua, of Joshua, and also the story with David Amel, the three years of famine, and how King David realized that they did not have the three defining traits of a Jew. Um, and to therefore, he made this decree that they should not marry into the Kahal Hashem. So the Gemara will briefly discuss the rest of this uh, story to see who exactly made which decree and what were the decrees. And then hopefully we'll continue on to the next Mishnah. We'll begin the next Mishnah, which is a totally different topic. Actually brings us back to our Yevamos topics. For those of you that missed the key uh, Yevamos topics, Discussing Yibam and Chalitza. So says the Gemara as follows. The Gemara says, V'nesinim, David Gazar Alayim. Is it really true that David, King David, he was the one who made these decrees? Moshe Gazar Alayim. This is already from the times of Moshe. Now obviously this can't be literally from the days of Moshe because Moshe was around before the Givonim converted uh, to, uh, to Judaism in the days of Yeshua and days of Joshua. But it means that he instituted a certain uh, approach where if we find that there are people who are going to be designated as servants and not just designated themselves as servants, but for all future generations, so then uh, if they have that special uh, uniqueness, so then that, that trait of theirs is that they will for all future generations be servants, uh, so then they also cannot marry into the Kal Hashem. And Moshe made this. How do we know this? Because Moshe He sort of created a separate category called uh, called the people who um, you know they cut the wood and they draw the water, and so because they have a separate category, so therefore they are viewed as uh, these slaves, and they cannot enter into the kahal Hashem. So the Gemara says no. Moshe Gazal Udara, David Gazar Lukuli Dara. So who made the decree? Was it Moshe or was it David? So the Gemara says Moshe made the decree for his only for that particular generation. Um, or for his generation, only for people from his generation. David, King David, made it for all future generations. All future generations of the Givonim will not be able to marry into Kaal Hashem. So the Gemara says, But forget about Moshe, Yoshua himself, during the time when they converted. Yoshua himself made a decree. Yoshua decreed that they should be, um, they should be servants to the congregation and specifically to the Mizbeach. To the Mizbeach, that they would be the ones, as we mentioned in the last recording, they, they are the ones who will uh, serve the Kohanim. They'll serve the Kohanim and pre- help prepare, do the prep work for the Mishkan, for the tabernacle, and for the basement, for the, uh, for the temple. And so this really comes from Yoshua. So the Gemara explains that there was a certain progression of this Gezerah, of this decree. Yoshua, Gazer, was Manshe, Beis, Amigdash, Kayim. David, Gazer, was Manshe, Beis, Amigdash, Kayim. Yoshua, Joshua... He made this decree during the time. He said that it will last only 
until the days of the of, of the base of Megdash, when the temple is still around, or when the tabernacle is still around. So then, at that point in time, the decree will uh, continue to exist. Beyond that, it won't. And comes David, and David says, you know what? Even beyond that, even after the days of the base of Megdash, after the days of the temple, they also cannot enter into Kahal Hashem. Now, just to point out, we seem to be discussing sort of two different decrees. There's the decree to make them into slaves. There's also the decree that they should not enter into Kahal Hashem. Uh, potentially one is dependent upon the other, but there are the different commentators try to figure out which decree exactly we're referring to here. Uh, are we referring to the decree that uh, they have to become slaves, or is it the decree that they cannot enter into Kahal Hashem? Uh, some uh, commentators point out that because they are part of the seven nations, they're part of the, they originally come from the land of Canaan, and they are from the land of Canaan, so therefore the prohibition to marry into Kahal Hashem is really on a biblical level, not on a rabbinic level. So everybody agrees that it's not allowed. The question is just whether it's on a biblical level or a rabbinic level. Continues the Gemara, turning to Ayin Teslam Abayz, 79b. Bimei Rebbe. So that happened by the days of David, King David. Now in the days of Rebbe, Bikshu Lahatu Nisinim, during the days of Rebbe, much later, after the destruction of both of the temples, so then they said, you know what, maybe we should allow the Nisinim to marry, let's say, to marry into the Jewish people. Maybe he should be allowed to Amr Lahem. Rebbe, Rebbe says back to them, no. He says, we have the right, we have the right to say that, you know what, that um, they don't have to serve us. Remember Yoshua, Joshua, he said they have to serve us and they have to serve the Mizbeach. So we could say that, you know what, they don't have to serve us, us the Jewish people. However, we don't have the right to say that they are totally exempt from serving in the Mizbeach, by the Mizbeach, by the altar, by by the temple. We don't have that right. It's not under our jurisdiction. We are not in control of that. We don't have the right to say that, you know what, you're no longer slaves anymore for all future generations. We can't say that because... It's not, it's not ours. It's the Mizbeach. It's the base of Mikdash. It's a separate entity of the temple. The temple is destroyed. It's true. But we, the temp, we still don't have that right to say that they are uh, exempt from working in, uh, in the base of Mikdash, even though the base of Mikdash is destroyed, meaning the future, there's still the future base of Mikdash, the future temple, which will, God willing, be rebuilt uh, quickly. And so therefore, we don't have that right to say that they don't have to become slaves anymore. And also, by extension, uh, once they're continuing to be slaves, we also will say that they cannot enter in Kahal Hashem. And this is in disagreement with Rabbi Chia Bar Abba. Please Rabbi Chia Bar Abba. The Amar Rabbi Chia Bar Abba, Amar Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yochanan says, "Chelik Eida Laolam Aser, Chelik Mizbeach Bezman Shebeis Mikdash Kaim Aser Im Bezman Mikdash Kaim Shari." Rabbi Chia Bar Abba essentially says that we're talking about after the destruction of the temple, after the destruction of both temples, there is no Beis Mikdash, there is no temple around. If there's no temple around, so then we don't have to ask permission from this entity of, of those who work uh, for the temple because there is no base Amigdash. We don't have a base Amigdash. We don't have a temple. And so therefore they automatically, without without uh, having to give them permission, they automatically are not, no longer viewed as servants for the temple. They're only servants for us, for the Jewish people. Once they're servants for the Jewish people, we have the right to, to say that, you know what, you're no longer servants anymore, that from now on, uh, you are free. You are free, and you don't have to be servants anymore for you and your descendants. Um, so that is a dispute between Rebbe and Rebbe Abba. Now that it's no longer the times of the base of Megdash or the Temple, are they allowed to become uh, free? Do we have that right to free them or not? <clears throat> okay, that is the end of the Gemara. 
We are now starting a new Mishnah. The Mishnah will discuss part of some of the topics we've discussed over the last uh, couple of weeks. However, it's returning back to our Yibam topic. So just a quick review of Yibam. Very important quick review of Yibam. There is a mitzvah of Yibam that when a husband passes away without having any children, so then the wife has to either do Yibam with her brother-in-law, with her husband's, the deceased husband's brother, uh, either do Yibam, which is a form of marriage or continuation of the marriage, or they have to do Chalitza. They would have to do Chalitza as the alternative. Now, the verse does say that part of the goal of Yibam is Lahakim Shem. It's either not literally to continue the name. We saw that in the past. You don't have to, this, it's not so that they have a, a child in that second marriage named after the deceased, but it's to continue the legacy, a form of continuing the legacy uh, through having uh, more children it's, it's so that his name is not erased. There's different phrases that are found in the Torah. And so our mission is really discussing Asris. We've discussed in the past what happens if there's this, the, the wife is not able to have children. She's referred to as an islandess. She's not able to have children. So then is she obligated to Yibam or not? Because she, since she can't have children, so then uh, it won't continue it for future generations. Now we're discussing really the, hus- the, the brother-in-law slash the deceased, uh, the deceased husband. We're going to be discussing both cases. It seems to be from the Mishnah that would apply to one would also apply to the other. Essentially, uh, what happens if the deceased husband was a Sris? He was somebody who was not able to have children. Since he wasn't able to have children, so there was never an opportunity for in the first marriage for them to have children. So maybe there's no point in doing Yibam or Chalitza. Just all, this whole concept doesn't apply because they weren't able to have children in the first marriage. Alternatively, let's say he was able to have children, but the brother, the, the live brother, cannot have children. He's a Sris and he cannot have children. So then also maybe there's no point in doing Yibam or Chalitza because he cannot have children with his sister-in-law. And so therefore, there's no continuation for all future generations of that uh, initial marriage. That is the discussion of our Mishnah. One other introduction is that we will see that we'll have cases where the, the either the deceased husband or the brother-in-law, they cannot have children currently. However, they're, because either they could have had children in the past or they potentially could have children in the future, either one, so then they would, they would be obligated to do Yibam or Chalitza. So we'll see this inside in the Mishnah, but what comes out is that even though right now there could be cases where the brother-in-law or the deceased husband, they, they were not able to have children or they cannot have children, but that is not a reason to exempt Yibam or Chalitza because it's not about practically having children for them, but it's about whether or not they're a person who is who at some point in time was able to have children. So it's it's not about necessarily the practical element of having a child, uh, but it's about whether or not this person had the ability or might in the future have the ability to have to have children. So let's see this inside. Amr Rabbi Yishu, Rabbi Yishu says as follows. Interesting line, Shemati. He heard the following. So he's not he's not giving his own statement here, but he heard the following. He heard contradictory statements. One statement was that if the person, if the brother-in-law is a Sris, he can't have children, or if the deceased husband was a Sris, he couldn't have children, there still is Chalitza. And he heard that there are those that say that there is no Chalitza. So which one is it? Uh, he, doesn't know, he doesn't know which one it is. So we'll have two different explanations, and it's the opposite. We'll see that they're really opposite explanations. Amr Rabbi Kiva. Rabbi Kiva says, Ani Afarish. I'll explain it. 
Sris Adam Cholten Vachotzen Lishto, Mishai Solo Shasa Kosher, Sris Chama Lo Cholit Solo Cholten Lishto, Mipnei Shelo Haisa Lo Shasa Kosher. Rabbi Kiva says it depends on what type of Sris. There's different scenarios where a person cannot have children. If it's a scenario where the person was able to have children at the time of birth, they, they, they physically were able to have children, just something happened while they were alive, something referred to as Sris Adam, either uh, intentionally or uh, you know, different scenarios where they were not able to, something happened and they're not able to have children anymore. And the assumption is within Rabbi Kiva is that if this happened while he was alive, he also can no longer have children for the rest of his life. So in that case, we do do chalitza. Why do we do chalitza? Because since at a certain point in time, he was a person who was able to have children, so we do chalitza. There still is an idea of doing chalitza, whether it's the brother-in-law that we're talking about or whether it's the deceased husband, we still do chalitza. However, if it's a chama, if it's somebody who by birth was never, never able to have children from birth, so then we do not do chalitza because he never had a point in time where he could have had children. Now, it's also important to note that somebody who... The assumption of the Gemara, of the Mishnah, as we're we'll about to see within the next opinion, is that somebody who from birth is not able to have children, that doesn't mean that they'll never in their life be able to have children. Right now they can't have children, but maybe something will happen, something will change, and they could have children in the future. So Rabbi Lezer says it's the exact opposite of Rabbi Kiva. Rabbi Lezer, Omer, no. Lo, ki Lezer says it's the exact opposite. He says that, if it's somebody who's a Sris Chama, who was born, not able to have children, so then at least they still have an obligation to do Chalitza because there's at least potential in the future for them to have children. As we pointed out a minute ago, somebody who was born without the ability to have children, maybe something could change, some, some healing process where they could have children in the future. However, if it's a case where they were able to have children from birth, but something happened while they were alive, so then Rabbi Lezer says that there is no mitzvah of chalitza or yibam. There's no obligation to do either one because since they won't be able to have children in the future, therefore they are totally exempt. So according to Rabbi Kiva, we focus on the past. Were they able to have children in the past? That's what we focus on. And if they, if they were able to, so then there is a, a mitzvah one would have to do chalitza. Uh, Rabbi Lezer says, no, we go towards the future. If they're able to have children in the future... So then there would be an obligation to do chalitza, even if they cannot have children right now. So the Mishnah continues, and they have the following story. Hey, Rabbi Shua ben Basir, Rabbi Shua ben Basir says as follows. Al ben Megusas, there was a person, a certain person, ben Megusas. Shahayi b'Yushalayim, he was in Jerusalem. And, he, and sris adam, hayi b'Yushalayim, sris adam. V'yiv mu'as ishtu l'kayim divrei Rabbi Kiva. And he was married, this sris adam, he was somebody who... Uh, was able to have children at birth, but then something happened while he was alive, uh, and he passed away. He was the one who passed away. And so they did Yibam, the brother-in-law did Yibam to his sister-in-law. He married his sister-in-law. To, and this fits with the position of Rabbi Akiva. This fits with the position of Rabbi Akiva, uh, because according to Rabbi Akiva, if the person, whether it was the deceased husband or whether it's the brother-in-law, they are a Swiss Adam, they had potential at some point in time, not now, but they had some potential in the past to have children, so then there is a mitzvah of chalitza or yibam. So this fits uh, very nicely with Rabbi Kiva, this story. The end of the mission now sort of summarizes and adds uh, one or two points. And we'll conclude with the end of this Mishnah, and we'll begin the Gemara in the next recording. Hasris, lo miyavim, island is lo We said that a sris, somebody who's not able to have children, 
they're not allowed to do chalitza or yibam, and also a woman who's an islandess, she also cannot do, they're totally exempt from chalitza or yibam. And we mentioned, depending on Rabbi Kiva or Belezer, what type of sris we are talking about, what type of situation where the husband cannot have, the husband or the brother-in-law, they're not able to have children. But the, the mission continues, and adds as follows. What happens if they are not obligated in the midst of Yibam? Let's say they're not obligated in the midst of Yibam. So let's say we're following Rabbi Kiva, just to use Rabbi Kiva. If somebody is a Sris Chama, they were born not able to have children. So they're, so then let's say either it's the deceased husband or it's the brother-in-law, who is this current Sris who, who was born without the ability to have children. So there's no mitzvah of Yibam or Chalitza, according to Rabbi Kiva. No mitzvah whatsoever. So if they do chalitza, even though there's no mitzvah to do it, but they do it anyways, they do chalitza, nothing, it, it, they didn't have to do it, but there, there are no significant repercussions. If they do do chalitza, it doesn't matter, it doesn't cause any harm to the sister-in-law. However, if they do yibum, when they're not supposed to be doing yibum, so that's, that's really a problem. If they do yibum, when they're not supposed to be doing yibum, that's a brother-in-law and sister-in-law having sexual relations with each other outside the context of yibum. That is a severe uh, prohibition, and that makes her disqualified from marrying a Kohen because the sister-in-law had sexual relations with her brother-in-law. That's a severe prohibition, and so therefore uh, she is uh, disqualified from marrying a Kohen. V'chein, islandis, shechotzla achin lo paslua, balua paslua b'ilas b'ilas Similarly, if the wife is an islandist, she's somebody who's not able to have children, and Therefore, there's a total exemption of Yibam Rechalitza. There is no mitzvah of Yibam Rechalitza. In that scenario, if one of the brothers-in-law does Chalitza, okay, you didn't have to do Chalitza, but it's not a, it's not, not a big deal. It doesn't have ramifications in the future. However, if they do Yibam, if they have sexual relations, same thing. It's, it's a big problem because it's a brother-in-law and sister-in-law having sexual relations outside the context of Yibam. Because they're still brother-in-law and sister-in-law, even though the husband passed away, they're still brother-in-law and sister-in-law, still have a severe prohibition associated with it. And so therefore, that disqualifies her from marrying a Kohen. Because she, in essence, had sexual relations in a, in a prohibitive manner, and that would disqualify her from marrying a Kohen. It's viewed as bi'ilaz nus. It's like uh, she becomes a zona, and so, a halachic zona, and so therefore she's disqualified from marrying a Kohen. So just to summarize, and what this will conclude... We had a dispute between Rabbi Kiva and Rabbi Lezer. What type of stress, what type of a person, a male who's not able to have children, are we talking about where there's an exemption from Yibam and Chalitza? Which case is there an obligation to do Yibam or Chalitza? Both in the scenario where it's the deceased husband who, who, who is a stress or whether it's the brother-in-law who's a stress. Uh, it's the same thing. Um, and then the end of the Mishnah really discusses that if there is an exemption to do Yibam or Chalitza and you still do it, so then, and you do yibum, and you end up having sexual relations. That could, that would lead to a very significant ramification in which the sister-in-law becomes prohibited from marrying, disqualified from marrying a kohen because she just had sexual relations with her brother-in-law outside the context of yibum. Okay, we'll continue with this gemara in the next recording.